Welcome to the second part of the Social Geeks podcast with Mabuma Nailin. So in today's episode, we'll be unpacking, you know, things that we're sleeping on um, South Africans or in Africa in terms of tackling, you know, AI, you know, problems and or tackling problems using AI, machine learning and data science. And also recommending some books that we can actually, you know, start using. Um, let me not, let me not waste any further time by spoiling the episode of today. You know, let's dive into what is it that he has in store for us, and what is it that you're learning. The whole episode is for you to be informed to be inspired and to be impacted and to also know you know what's happening in the industry and what we we should actually you know prepare ourselves for or the things that we can actually look into currently um so let's let's dive into the second part of the episode i hope you enjoyed or we hope you enjoyed the first one you can still connect with us at social geeks za on all social media platforms and tell us what you think about the episode you can still connect with our guest at this mabu on twitter or mabu manailing on linkedin and let us know what you what you think don't forget to use the hashtag social geeks and let us know what you think let us know what you have learned from this episode let us know your thoughts your your thoughts your opinions your views uh or maybe you can even challenge the speaker or our guest speaker at hand all right cool um understood enough um what do you think we are sleeping on more especially in south africa or maybe some of the problems that we can actually start tackling um using ai data science and and machine learning perhaps yeah (laughs) it's a lot but but one of the things that i think is a risk to african ai future and also by the way there's a book but i'll talk about the book when when we get to the book section but there's a book called ai superpowers by kai fu lee Um, and then he discusses uh, an AI future that most people don't talk about. So, so what I made reference to now, when, when we say that you should be afraid of AI, the, the context at which people should be afraid of AI is articulated so brilliantly in Kaifu Lee's book. And, and it's not these robots that are killing people. It's actually a concept where you have AI superpowers, uh, two nations that have the power of artificial intelligence, and then everyone else has to buy that tech or that power from them because they cannot create equally uh, powerful technology. Um, and this is actually being caused by the fact that in Africa, and this is where the gap is, we, 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 we don't seem to want to learn from the mistakes that were caused by other countries. Ne? So for example, if you look at in, in, in Africa, do we have regulation on self-driving cars? I have never heard our government talking about, you know, a, gazette, a government gazette or a, or a legislation that is being passed in parliament. For, for, for governing self-driving cars. Yet we know that this technology is coming. We already know that the European countries are battling with, with, with regulating AI because the, the, the AI companies brought the AI car, the, the self-driving cars to the streets before regulations was in place. So now they are juggling between not slowing down the technology and making sure that the technology is not harmful. But we as Africans, we are not saying, oh, by the way, those guys are already struggling with that. This means it's coming. And then we are saying, let's get ready. You know, I would like to see uh, like 
government gazettes or, or legislation and, and, and debates in parliament. I mean, we debate so many things in parliament. I would like to see people debating in parliament. How are we preparing ourselves for self-driving cars? And also, by the way, how are we making sure that we can reduce, reduce the tax on, 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 on electric cars? We are one of the few countries in the world that, for example, is taxing electric cars the way you tax gasoline cars. Like, really? I mean, we should be forward thinking and saying, let's, let's subsidize electric cars so that we can make sure that while the other countries are battling to say we must get rid of uh, combustion engine cars by 2035 or something like that, we would know that we are starting off here while we're building electric car plants and stuff like that. So I have a lot to say about this, but I think for the most part, the biggest problem that I'm seeing as a gap in Africa is that we do not value data collection. So the only way that, we are go that, 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 that countries countries can be uh, superior in artificial intelligence is by gathering data. So the problem here is that we are not gathering data. In Africa, we are not. We, uh, maybe South Africa. I know there's a, there's a lot of African countries that are superior in terms of this uh, than South Africa. Um, I mean, Utopia is one of them. The AI power in Utopia is far much more superior than that of South Africa. They are publishing papers. Um, Utopia is quite good. Uh, and I think even... Um, Ghana, Kenya. I think Microsoft built a, an AI research lab in Kenya, or was it Ghana? I know Google. Google went to Ghana. And it's like, when these things happen, you know that it's a warning sign. Why isn't it that as an advanced African economy, these big giants are investing in South Africa? Why are they going to other African countries? And this, for me, is actually a very big risk because it's showing you that we are likely going to regress in the future when it comes to developing our AI technologies. But back to the data issue, which is re the real problem, and in summary, is that for me, if I was in government, what I would be doing is that I would be putting systems in place that are going to collect data in the right way that is going to make sure that it's machine learning ready. Because if we are not doing this, what's happening is that Facebook, Google, Zoom, everyone else are collecting data about us. They are collecting data points in Africa because remember, these things are global platforms. So there's no barriers, there's no, there's no boundaries, there's no borders for how you can collect data. I know that there is regulations like GDPR trying to govern this, but these guys find a way to work within the regulatory framework and, and gather this data. So by the time we say, oh, we want to do AI, these guys would be knowing so much about us as African citizens and rolling out technologies that are solving our problems that our government will have no way, even now our local tech communities will have no way of competing with them in their own territory. And this is very, very dangerous. I, I honestly think there must be a massive project of ensuring that we have the right technologies in place. Government rolled out uh, technologies. I mean, we have the cloud now. We can just, even without having to buy any compute or anything, we, we, we do this as cloud-focused uh, technologies to ensure that we're collecting data, data points that is going to make us, that's going to be useful for us when we try to build a machine learning capability from a government perspective. Because I know small companies are trying to do that, but you cannot, you cannot collect data at the scale that the government is doing. And you can still collect data within the privacy framework, although it's difficult, but you can. And then if we don't collect this data five years into the future, we would have no data that is suitable to training our machine learning models. And we will have to buy these models from people. Let, let, let me just linger on this for, for one second, please, as an example. Uh, computer vision. Right now, you know, we open our iPhones with our faces. We walk into buildings and they recognize our faces. Computer vision is a very strong technology. One of the biggest problems with computer vision is that there's, there's no diversity. Because remember, uh, one of the biggest data sets in the world of computer, of, of images to train computer, computer uh, systems to recognize images is called ImageNet. 
And I think it has like 1,000 different uh, classes of, of, of images. And those pictures do not have diversity in them. So there's not enough black people. There's not, let alone black women. So actually there was a study that, that found that if you take the industry leading visual uh, facial recognition systems and test them, they, they perform super low on, on, on black female faces and super high on white male faces. How many black female faces do we have in Africa? Why aren't we collecting the data, right? Because then if we, if we don't, and I know that companies are doing this, especially Chinese companies, they are now coming to Africa, selling the civilian technologies to like, uh, I know that there was a controversy with one, uh, one particular company from Shenzhen uh, that's selling surveillance technology to, to Zimbabwe. And obviously Zimbabwe is not a very democratic uh, country. And now they're co collecting this data. And then now what, what happens is that because the Chinese company sold you the, the tech, they're collecting the data from you via their tech. So Manje, you'll have a Chinese facial recognition company, maybe let's say Face, Face Sense. There is a company called Face Sense, I think, in China. That's like one of the leading companies with facial recognition in the world. Because obviously they have like more than a billion people in China to, to take faces from. But then they don't have black faces. We have black faces in South Africa, in Africa as in general. But then these, tech, these companies are coming to get this data to train better superior um, uh, models that they're going to sell back to us as though we didn't have this data. It's the same thing that happened with gold and platinum in mining. They came and took the raw sources and selling us finished products that are super expensive. So mind you, we're going to buy finished products that are super expensive with data that was collected from our own country. This is a very serious problem. And I think people in high places need to start thinking very big about it. Because otherwise, in, 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 in the future, to be honest, we, we, we would be buying this as a commodity, although it was generated and produced on our shores, just like gold, just like diamond. All right, cool. Interesting, interesting facts there. I think speaking about, speaking about facial recognition and stuff like that, we are in the pandemic and for some institutions in South Africa, they have this system that is, is placed. I get everyone is, is trying to get their students to write exams, right? But what we now find is that they would say, when you're writing the exam, your camera needs to be on, you need to be recorded, shouldn't, you, know, you, should, you need to be on mute, you'll be analyzed and, and, and the video information will be using machine learning and it, it will automatically um, flags out potential academic, you know, dishonesty. What do, you, what do you think? What are your thoughts about that? Oh, yeah, that's actually quite a mature technology in China. So in China, because remember, um, although like, oh, I don't like everything about the Chinese model because I don't think they're entirely democratic as well. But I think there's a lot of things we can learn out of China, especially from a technology education perspective. So that type of tech has already been there. Actually in China, they rolled it out, uh, not actually to monitor whether you are, you are, you are copying or you're potentially you know, being dishonest, but to monitor what topics are you struggling with in class, for example. As learners, they will know if they ask you this question about uh, uh, solving a quadratic equation, they collect so much data about the learner that they know this one is struggling with quadratic equations. Although this one doesn't struggle very well with essays, they struggle here. And by doing that, they very early, they very early in the, in the children's uh, years, they, they know which academic channels should which children go, right? So this is actually a very advanced technology and matured one in, in most countries. I know even in, 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 in Japan, they, they, have a, they have a similar thing where they're super obsessed about their kids' education um, and they invest a lot in, in kids' education um, because they, they, the, the, the idea is that the kids will be, will be the future and they should be beefed up. So that technology has been rolled out in countries like that and it's been working. 
in South Africa, it makes sense uh, that you want to do something like that. I mean, I know even just that they are trying to use machine learning. You can always ask how much machine learning is being used there because I mean, most people just put machine learning on a product and say, yes, it's using machine learning, come buy it. Although it's really rule-based or even sometimes being analyzed by humans. But I think those are systems in, that should be deployed. They should be deployed in a sense that can we build them in Africa? Because if I, I'm not kidding you, if we go and, and look at who, who, who's got that tender? First of all, I know a UJ or a, or a VETS will issue out the tender and then say, we want technology that's gonna enable us to do this. And then some guy from where? I don't know, India, because they're also strong in data science and machine learning. Some guy, some company from India or Canada or China comes get the tender and ship the technology to us. So now we don't know how it works. We have no way of building it and we are using it. And by the time we say, hi guys, can we build this ourselves? The technology is so mainstream that even if you were to build yours, how are you gonna compete? I mean, imagine if somebody started to say, I want to build an operating system that comes from South Africa. Who's gonna use it in comparison to iOS and Android? And by the time you have 10% of the market share, where would you have came from? What do you have to do, you know? So I think that's the, the biggest problem I have with these things is that the technology, yes, we can't deny it because we need to grow with other nations, but we need to stop importing tech. We need to find ways of saying, how do we beef up our local community so that this technology can come? You know, if you, if you get that uh, software from Sishiwa and then you're shipping it to Eastern Cape, I'm happy. I'm like, oh, wow, that's great. But now it's coming from China. It's coming from somewhere. And that's a problem because we want local tech to also make, make an impact on our local communities. But there's nothing we can do about that in terms of the technology being rolled out and being adopted. It's actually a good thing. I mean, most people say that the pandemic accelerated digital efforts of many countries and many companies, which is true. And I think it's a great thing to see. All right. And, and what do you think about, you know, accessibility in, in applications? I think I haven't, not really South African apps. I haven't seen that. Or maybe I might be mistaken with my research. But what do you, what do you think about it in, in South African applications, um, accessibility? Or, or integrating yeah. accessibility in applications or local apps. And then accessibility, I'm guessing you mean like globally, it making it out there? No, I mean, I mean for the disabled people. Oh, you mean like inclusivity in the app so that it, okay, okay. So that is a difficult one because I think to a large extent is a global problem. And it's, it's all, you know, you know, most people say diversity and inclusion is the most meaningless term in corporate. And that is because all corporates talk about diversity and inclusion. But then if you go into these corporates and look at diversity and inclusion, it's embarrassing, right? And this is because if you are a company that has a, you are a bank and you're building an app for, for a banking app, at least have a disabled person on the team, right? And then they're going to say, ah, but, but guys, I can't use this app of yours, but I still have a bank with you. I'm still banking with you. I can't use it. You know, have a black person on the team so that they can say, hey, but you can't do that. Have females on the team so that they can say this. Diversity is superior than anything. But because of the lack of diversity, the way we design these things, the way we design these applications, it's, it's exclusive. It's excluding the people because mostly, number one, they are missing in the people that are doing the work. So, so there's no one who's keeping us honest to say, but guys, this is not accessible to someone who can't see. This is not accessible to someone who can hear. And, but I think to solve that problem, we need to ensure that we, we include people. So make sure that in your team, you've got, if you're building a product that's supposed to be consumed by people globally or nationally, 
make sure, unless if you're a niche market, it's like, you know, there's certain apps that are saying, I'm targeting disabled people or I'm targeting pregnant women. I'm, I'm targeting this. That kind of makes sense. You're being exclusive. There is a target market. But also, by the way, if you are selling services that are supposed to change people's lives and make them better, being exclusive is actually problematic uh, because you want to include people. So I think for me, there is lack of diversity in the teams that are building these products. And because of that, we are systematically and by design excluding uh, people with, uh, with, from diverse backgrounds. All right, cool. And, and I, th I think you touched more on, on the things that I actually wanted to touch more, especially when you talked about um, the potential we have in, in Africa or rather South Africa in, in, in developing AI solutions. But hey, um, I think my next question to you would be for somebody out there in Sisheho or in, I don't know where, in Eastern Cape, you know, and they want to get into, into um, data science industry, where do they begin? Apart from going the academic route where you're now doing your bachelor's of computer science and, 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 and forth, but to backtrack a little bit, you mentioned that you can actually be a data scientist without actually going to school. I know the, there's a Explore Academy, but what other ways can you actually explore into getting into the industry? Yeah, <clears throat> so, so it depends, right? So I think, I think that um, there are certain companies that sort of say that we think, and this is mostly some of the companies we've worked for and worked with uh, for data wizards. So there are some companies that say, we know that uh, machine learning is useful and it's impactful, uh, but we don't have the skill set. So we want to partner with people who have the skill set. But then there are other companies that say, or even individuals that wants to say, I want to get into data science myself, right? So in that different context, but, but I think if you want to take the route of saying you partner with people, just make sure you're partnered with the right people, right? Because uh, you, know, you know what they say, everything works on PowerPoint. <laughs> so just don't let people to come and impress you with PowerPoint slides and you're like, I found an AI partner uh, because things will not work in production. But anyway, if you want to go into data science yourself, or maybe you are a small company and you want to beef up the skills of, of, the, of the people around you, I think MOOCs are a good way to start. I mean, things like Explore Data Science Academy is amazing. But I think even things like the, the massive open online courses, if you use them properly, they really can get your, your data science game up there. So I know that even if you are a corporate or if you're just an individual, you can, if you're an individual, you can create an individual account on this, most of these platforms. But if you're a corporate, you can also create a corporate account and then let your, your, your employees expose themselves. I know that in one of the companies I worked for, the, 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 We've got a mix, we had a mix of analysts and you know, people from different backgrounds. And the idea was to make the team data conscious. And we invested a lot in training, for example, exposure of these companies and on this platform, register, do these courses. And then you start exposing people to real world problems and help have them solve those problems using the techniques they learned online. But I really do not think there is any need for anyone to go to university just because they want to be a data scientist. I think if you use online uh, learning properly, and also if you have the right background, because there is certain things you can struggle with, uh, for example, mathematical concepts. I mean, if you don't have a linear algebra background, you're going to, you know, you're going to struggle with backpropagation, uh, for example, or, or stochastic gradient descent. So you need, to, you need to have some background, but also, by the way, you, you, there is, there is a way in which you can use data science applicable without understanding the core mathematical concept. It's not always advisable, but it's, it's something you can work with. Um, because for example, there is high level rappers out there, APIs and stuff like that, that make sure that they abstract and encapsulate the complexity of the mathematics 
uh, and then provide a high level interface where people can interact with these models. But then if you don't know what the model means, you're going to have serious problems. So you can invest time in just sort of understanding how to interpret it and that type of thing, and then be able to use the APIs. But at the end of the day, the data science field is about doing. So write code, write code, and write more code. That's the, that's the, first, uh, uh, the best way to get yourself uh, into data science is by just writing code. And obviously couple it with uh, some reading here and there. All right, cool. And where are we in terms of the AI scene in South Africa? And where do you think we are heading in the next two to three, five years? <sighs> so I think, <laughs> I think we're still at a hype stage in South Africa, although it's also multi-layered. So we're still at a hype stage. I know that in industry, uh, most companies uh, in corporate, there is still a lot of doubt in, 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 in machine learning. There is still a lot of uh, machine learning is just fancy statistics, you know. Um, there is still a lot of, yeah, you know, your machine learning models are unreliable. Uh, and it's very funny because big companies invest so much. I mean, I don't know if you use the Google Photos app. Um, and that's just machine learning end to end, you know. And it's, 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 also, it's always so funny when I, I sit in like hectic meetings in corporate with like hectic people from a, you know, executive levels and stuff like that. And you sense a feeling of uh, distrust of machine learning models. And then you're like, but brah, I mean, if Google invests so much, if Twitter can use machine learning to, uh, to, to run the timeline, if Facebook is using machine learning model for running the whole timeline and the newsfeed, who are you to think that machine learning won't work, right? I mean, you should, you should know that at least, I mean, those people will not be putting this much money and also making this much money out of it. Companies make a lot of money out of ads and every single ad on the internet that you see, well, probably not every single one of them, but most um, adverts on the, on, the, on, the, on the internet that you see have been referred to you by a machine learning model. Every recommended video you, you use on Netflix has been referred to you by a machine learning model. So these models work. So the trouble in South Africa is that we have, we're still at the stage where there is disbelief from people with big money so that's what I was saying as well, that people don't find it easy to invest in machine learning. In Silicon Valley, companies that are using machine learning to, let's say just to a to-do list, you know, an app that is doing to-do list with machine learning, get a series A funding of $10 million from a venture capital firm. You will never have something like that. Well, maybe not never, but you will not have something like that currently in South Africa, where you're saying, I'm using machine learning for the following things, and then please. And also, by the way, even if you look at big companies, I mean, one of the things that I find disappointing is the DSTV Now app. You know, like that app, you can just see that it's just lacking machine learning on it. They don't remember which things I like. They don't recommend the things that I'm probably going to like. I, they, don't, they don't order the content for me based on my preferences. You know, I, oh, every time I use the app, it's like I'm using it for the first time. Um, and, and, and this is just a lack of, it's showing you that even a corporate, a big corporate like multi-choice in the form of DSTV is not investing so much in this. I mean, I would expect them to be like, you know, uh, the recommendation system should be at par. They have a lot of money. I mean, they have a lot of money. They should be investing this money in doing these technologies. But this just, it's also just a diagnosis, right? It's showing you that there is a problem, a, generic, a general problem in how we adopt machine learning from a corporate perspective and then just as a country in, in general. But from a youth perspective, what I find fearful is the hype. When, when, I, when we're still doing a lot of hackathons, you would find somebody who says, because we use deep learning a lot at hackathons. So I think most people thought that they could also just say, we're using machine learning. But then you can see that they're hyping it. There's no machine learning actually anywhere, 
when you start asking them what's the machine learning model doing then they start explaining what machine learning is um so it, we are at the hype and then at this and at this trust stage and also all of these things are a consequence of not understanding what the technology is about um and i think in the future from a corporate perspective in the future i think people will just start buying things people will start buying uh ibm pre-made ibm solutions uh, right now with the cloud in when you go to microsoft azure in the cloud uh everything you can just spin it up as an api you just provision it as a resource so there's less interest in building um the the the, the capability uh, in-house because they say if i have one data scientist who's using the cloud then i probably replace a team of 50 people um and also we don't have that culture uh, like they do in the States and other areas, even in Tel Aviv, in Israel, uh, Canada, Montreal, you find a, 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 a culture where big corporates are building a research uh, capabilities, um, where if you are a bank, then you have a team of wizards who are just crunching numbers there, um, and then you just keep giving them money to innovate and come up with new things, uh, uh, but then, you know, big, big corporates would prefer to maybe buy someone instead of building that capability themselves. But I don't think that's how AI ought to work. I think AI works better when you invest in research and then understanding your problem landscape and then being able to apply those, those research findings to the problem landscape. And I think maybe in the next five to 10 years, we may probably start seeing that shift where people start understanding that funding machine learning efforts is not a bad idea. And then, you know, uh, and also it's going to prevent the brain drain because there's a lot of very clever, very smart people who are leaving the country because the opportunities here, are, it's, it's a local minimum. Like regardless of how good you do, you will never compare to someone in a global context. So they would rather move to a global exposure where the, the arena is much bigger and you have much more higher rate of success. I mean, that's why I think even Elon Musk, back when he just relocated South Africa, do you think if Elon stayed in South Africa, it would be what he is? And this is just showing you that as a country, we are limiting to potential. And I think in the next five to 10 years, we're likely going to see people leaving once they start actually getting, understanding what this technology is doing. Because I know that most research, most uh, academic labs are beginning to really do real, real data science and real, real machine learning and AI. Uh, so people are likely to leave or we're likely to see now uh, 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 like some research labs popping up. And that is what I would like to see. I would like to see the government just sort of say that I've got 100 million, you know, and then I want to fund people via, I don't know, uh, maybe that technology agency that the bank, that, that the, the government has, um, maybe say, I'm going to fund this. And, you know, this is a similar thing that China did. They lost money because some startups were not successful, but made a lot of money on the, on the startup that became successful. And also that, that drove the culture of understanding AI. Right now, the AI papers that come out of China exceed those that come out of Europe. Um, if you go to archive and look at the AI publications, they are coming from China. And when we say AI publications, this means that they are not copying anyone's tech. They are doing research from the ground up and publishing it, contributing new knowledge to the, to the society. But I think we are far from doing that. And I think we should invest to that level. I was asking if you provide mentorship to you know, people that are interested in you mentoring them. Yes, 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 yes. So, I do, I do provide mentorship. I, I'm very passionate about mentorship, actually. Um, and then I, I actually get a lot of requests even via LinkedIn and other channels where people are like, I want to get into this thing. I want to start doing this. Um, but I have to say, sometimes I get a bit disappointed because most people 
uh, I've had a, a bunch of students who are going afresh at university and they're like, hey, bra, I'm registering computer science. Uh, so what should I do? And then when you give them advice, like make sure you have strong math, you have strong this and stuff. Most people still feel like um, um, it's not very useful to invest in computers. I mean, in, in data science, um, especially at a university level. So because even if you're doing physiology, there is a way you can use machine learning. Machine learning is like, um, yeah, and you know, I'm going to make a South African joke here. Machine learning is like archer, you know, you can put it in any meal <laughs> and it just works. Um, so even if you're doing physiology or you're doing, uh, I don't know, microbiology, uh, you can use machine learning. You can use machine learning in any field. So I would actually, especially in a South African context, I would, I would be super happy if like these people that are approaching me, they're like, yeah, you know what? I'm doing, I'm doing gymnastics, but I want to know how machine learning can work for me. And then we talk about that. But yeah, so I, I do offer mentorship. And also obviously with Data Wizards, we also offer, offer consultancy to businesses that don't know what to do with, with data and machine learning. Um, and in our experience, we've solved a lot of uh, problems where um, people wanted to take maybe a rule-based approach and it was compound, compounding the complexity of the problem. And then when, you, when we walk in and do an analysis, we realize that you know, a clever machine learning model here and a one rule here, there, it will solve the problem. And it always amazes me of how people have opportunities of using machine learning in their businesses, but they don't know how, um, or they're doing it the wrong way. Some of them obviously are figuring it out nicely and it's working, uh, but most people are still, figure, uh, are still struggling with integrating that machine learning thing. And we can offer that advisory from a, a business perspective. But me personally, I, I do have, I do welcome people who want mentorship. Um, and then, yeah, I'm, I, I always get excited when people want to get into machine learning and then we can find problems for you to solve and just to get you started in the field and make sure that you can become, you know, machine learning competent. Um, and yeah, hopefully get a job somewhere and, and make that useful. So yeah, shout out to people who may be wanting mentors in this field. Uh, you can reach out to me. All right, do you think we need more machine learning engineers in South Africa or Africa? I'm saying, do you, do, you, do you think we need more machine learning engineers in South Africa or Africa? Based on the things that you've said during this episode, I can tell that we need more of it. Do you think we need more of it? Oh, yes. We need a lot. Yo, we need a lot of machine learning engineers in Africa because yo, Africa has problems. And you know, like for me, I, 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 call, I call this machine learning and data science uh, industry as a... As a as a, as, a, as a tool that lev levels the playing field. So like Africa and South Africa to be specific, but I think Africa in general, we've got a lot of historical problems, man. You know, like historically, colonialism, apartheid, what, 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 what. So our history is based on this fundamental fact of privileging other people at the expense of others. But when you get into data science, um, in, in, in South Africa, for example, there's very little people who have a 10-year experience in machine learning. Um, so all of a sudden, the historical background and then your historical privilege does not help you a lot when we come to data science. Whether you are a female, you know, if you're sitting in a room with 100 people and then there's males and females, the, the, the amount of experience of data science and machine learning of the males and the females is likely the same because we only all started learning about it yesterday. So all of us for the first time are starting on something that is a clean slate. We can be whatever we want. So gender differences, machine learning level start. Racial differences, machine learning level start. 
there is no, you don't have a competitive advantage in machine learning because you are white um, in the South African context. You don't have a competitive advantage because you are a man. Although there's obviously this, this legacy issues that are creeping in to the field itself where females are not, you know, they're not getting sufficient recognition and black people and other people are also sort of not getting sufficient recognition. And I think most people know about this in Africa. That's why there is a guy I like a lot, uh, Dr. Vugosi Marivate. He's one of the guys who founded the Deep Learning in Daba, which is a really great initiative of making sure that Africans can find a place where they can talk about machine learning and solve machine learning problems. There's also like other projects that they're involved in, which I like, like Masakane, which is a project that also focuses on African natural language processing of ensuring that we can take African languages, Swahili and all the African languages in the North and make sure that they have machine learning models that are useful to African communities. So I think we need a lot of engineers, but I also think that our government needs to step up. So most people say that you don't need the government to do these things. You can do it privately, what, 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 <laughs> not with AI, hey? not with AI, because AI is of national security importance. And then the government should have equal interest in the development of AI in the country than the next business guy. So in if you get the AI superpowers, if you like, even just people who are superior in AI, if you look at Canada and listen to the Canadian president or prime minister talk about artificial intelligence, oh my goodness, if you, if you go to China, China funded from scratch the AI initiatives in the country. If you go to the States, DAPA, DAPA is a, is a, is a state initiative that produced the first self-driving car was a, DAPA uh, was a DAPA competition that was won by Sebastian Thrun, I think. And that was funded by the government. <laughs> so the government really needs to step up and give people money to do AI. Because if they don't, this technology is in the interest of national security. And if, if they do not do that, then they're exposing themselves. So I think we need a lot. We need a lot more. We need to fund this at an academic place, a, 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 a academic level. We need to fund this at a, from a venture capital perspective. The government must have a wing of some sort that's spending money on technology and just focuses on AI. Because if they don't do that, they'll be buying technology, AI technology from, they'll be importing it just like we're importing everything else, which I think is very problematic. All right, cool. Do you like have any books that you would somehow recommend for people to read? Uh, without giving them free advertisement, but do you have like any books that you think people um, can read and they're very informative in, in terms of the AI scene and the ML scene um, or the things that you have actually, or the books that you have actually read? Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I started reading books like in high school, but I was reading like high school books. So, so I would be reading a book geography or a history book or something like that because i didn't have the people in my life who would like sort of you know maybe recommend a book to me like i don't know rich dad poor dad or you know buy me a comics magazine or something like that so i started reading books a bit late as well because i think the first book i read and finished was in university it was a it was a book by stephen hawkins a brief history of time and then i also read a book by 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 uh, Richard Dawkins, but I don't, I don't want to talk about it. It's a controversial book that, 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 that is a deeply personal book to me. But I think in general, I don't want to sort of... Okay, so there's two ways you can recommend books in data science. Um, either the technical ones that are going to help you get started or, or books that are going to give you context, the data science context. Um, I think it's important to understand the data science context. And I also don't like books from a machine learning perspective. So in machine learning, things happen so fast. You know, by the time you finish publishing a book, whatever you are writing about may have changed. So usually like 
things like publications that you will find research research papers are a good are a good thing to read if you want to get knowledge in a technical sense uh, research papers even some blog posts there is a lot of reputable people on the on the internet who write very constructive blogs about data science and their information can update today in one hour uh, unlike a book that you know like most concepts you read about you know when when, when i was doing my third year in school they, they showed us a, a video that was made by ibm and it was a did you know video and then one of the things that's that's that, that i read on that uh, on that video and stood stuck me and and i've never that story has never left my head my brain was that did you know in five years whatever you're living today will be useless um, and that hit me and, and i actually remember asking my lecturer what what do they mean so why are you teaching me if it's, if it's not going to be there in, in five years and then i had to contend with the with the idea of of knowledge expiration and academic knowledge expires very quickly and in machine learning it's more so than in any other field that i know about so that's why I don't typically like books, but there are books that will never change, you know, statistical uh, learning, machine learning books that, you know, theories of statistics don't change very much. Uh, base theory has been base theory since it came out and it's still base theory today. Uh, and it's still super important to machine learning. So there are certain books that you could say people can read for, from a perspective of getting exposure. And I will recommend a few, but I think from a general reading perspective, there is books that I think are my favorite. Uh, the one is, uh, is Sapiens by, by Yuval Noah Harari, which talks about the evolution of humankind um, and all the stages of life we went through. And he actually talks about this, uh, this industrial revolutions uh, or just revolutions in general in a much more detailed and dated way than, than, than the one that we talk about, like the fifth, the fourth. Actually, if you look at it in the context of sapiens, we may not be on the fourth industrial revolution, but, a, but a, maybe in a, a sixth or something like that, because we started a long time ago with the cognitive revolution of knowing uh, that we have a brain that works. Um, it's a good book. It's a great book. It gives you the summary of humankind and paints a very beautiful context. Uh, so I think people will like it. But I think in general, all the books that you all know Harari wrote are brilliant. So he wrote three books, I think. So Homo sapiens, Homo Dios, and I think um, brief a brief, uh, what is that? 21 questions from the, from the 21st century. So they're great books. But uh, from an AI perspective, Kai Fu Li, um, AI superpowers, that is going to paint a picture of what is AI and how, what does it mean in a global context? What is it going to do to our economies? What is it likely going to do to our economies? And how other countries, especially China, uh, have managed to uh, get on board with the AI technologies and, 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 and made a difference. So I recommend that book, very great book. Um, there's obviously a lot of other books that I, that I like, but there's one called, uh, that I think people would, would like as well in the context of, of machine learning and artificial intelligence. It's called uh, Weapons of Math Destruction. Um, so Weapons of Math Destruction also just talks about uh, how uh, uh, mathematical models, specifically machine learning models, are actually causing damage <laughs> to a wide variety of, of, of industries and how they can be dangerous when we interpret them. Um, so that's also a, a good uh, thing that, 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 that will give people context. Um, there's also, okay, maybe, maybe the technical ones. The technical ones, I think, first of all, you need to really, uh, uh, from a background perspective, have sufficient background in statistics. And you know, understand how statistical functions work. How, how what is estimation? Maximum likelihood estimation. Um, those type of things because they pop up everywhere in machine learning. Uh, if you understand those things, sampling techniques, 
what is stratified sampling, what is sampling, what, what, what do all these concepts mean? If you, if you understand that, it becomes very easy for you to gel nicely in machine learning. But then there is one book that most machine learning people read from a background perspective, and it's called Artificial Intelligence, A Modern Approach. So I think every AI person I know tends to recommend that book. It's a great book. So I think people will find that useful. It's a theoretical, technical type, but, but it's very useful. But there's also a guy called Ian Goodfellow, and he wrote the book together with, uh, uh, together with Yeshua Benjiwo. Yeshua Benjiwo is a, is, a, is, a, is a Turing Award winner. So they wrote a book called Deep Learning. And that is a great book uh, to just get you into neural nets and deep learning. But also uh, Franco Cholet. Uh, Franco Cholet is a, is a guy who created Keras. There is a library called Keras in Python. He also read a book, uh, wrote a book called Deep Learning with Python, which is a great way to get started with building neural nets in Python and stuff. But there's other books. I'm, I'm a Python guy, so I'm very biased to Python. Um, but there's other books that talks about machine learning in R, you know, and there is a there is a there is a statistic. I mean, there is a particularly interesting person in the R community called uh, what is his what is his name? The guy who wrote Tidyverse uh, that I think people should should follow. Um, I'll remember his name just now. Um, but then yeah, so you can choose that direction, go the R way, and then find R books uh, that will teach you machine learning, and then you can go the Python route, which. Uh, will also teach you machine learning, deep learning. Most libraries are written, libraries are written in Python, like your TensorFlow libraries are written in Python, uh, but R is also a viable. Alrighty, that was it from me and Mabu on our second part of the episode. Catch us on the third part of the episode, which we will discuss furthermore certain things that you need to know. Um, let us know what you think about, you know, the first and second part of the episode. And what did you learn so far? What, what, what did you learn that you didn't know? Or what did you learn that you knew, but, you know, you didn't know quite a lot about it? And what is it that you're going to do from now on? Tag us on our social media platforms and also tag or follow Mabu Manailing or the Data Wizards. Um, let us know what you, which, what are your thoughts, what are your views. You can even challenge the the guest speaker per se. It's it's their opinions, uh, but you can also challenge them if you feel like there are places where they did not thoroughly uh, explain something, or you think they were not up to par with the knowledge that they were sharing on the on the podcast thank you very much we hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you on the next one